Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 7. There is a light, a glorious light, that shines in a dark place. It is prophetic scripture. God moved upon men of old to give his word and to make known his purpose, his promises, and declared what would come long before ever it did come. Prophecy is wondrous. There is nothing like it under the sun. The word of God, when prophecy, God's truth, enters into your heart, it has entered into the place that was the darkest place of all. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When God penetrates to the human heart, that is a wondrous work that only he can do. And when we have prophetic scripture and we have the New Testament now and we find the fulfillment of that prophetic scripture in our Lord and in his wondrous work for us and his redeeming grace, we rejoice, we marvel. We find it to be indeed good tidings of great joy to our souls. Nothing like it. And nothing should ever come to diminish it. I can remember I never wanted to stop when I was being dealt with concerning the ministry of the Word of God that I woke up in the morning thinking about the glory, the reality that Christ loved me enough to die for me, that he took my place before the justice of God that he called me by his gospel. And all through the day, I think upon the wonders of that redeeming love. And I go to bed at night thinking the same thing. <laughs> and I don't want ever to get away from that. And we have the glorious truth of God that human logic should be able to see, but it doesn't. Human reason should be able to comprehend it. There's nothing like it, but... Only as God illumines heart and mind to his truth will it be believed savingly. Well, here we have the promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name a couple of chapters later is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the way he shall enter into this world through the womb of a virgin. But we have the historical context, and there are many lessons here for us. And so I want to read Isaiah chapter 7 and the first 16 verses. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, 
and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabium. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If ye will not believe, Surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest, shall be forsaken of both her kings. When you consider the historical context of this wondrous prophecy that God gave through Isaiah, it looked like Jerusalem and the Davidic, Davidic monarchy were going to be destroyed. Everything appeared destructive on the verge of destruction and very imminent coming against Jerusalem. Two kings and their armies would seem to them to have had overwhelming power and they were determined to level Jerusalem and destroy the monarchy of Judah which was the Davidic line. King Ahaz, in the midst of great danger, used the proper wisdom. He was going to, to a conduit to cut off water so that those armies would not have water when they came to invade their land. And of course, armies must have water in order to be able to fight. 
So what he did was right in that regard and reasonable. Same thing Hezekiah would do, godly king Hezekiah. So here on the way to the waters to cut them off, he's met by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah comes and immediately tells him, Take heed, be quiet, neither be faint-hearted. Why? They have two powerful armies, what appears to be an overwhelming force that's going to destroy Jerusalem unless we do something. And... Isaiah comes along and says, don't be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid. You see, it's God himself who will do the fighting. The battle is his. The victory is absolutely assured. God's purpose is established. It's certain. It cannot fail. But Ahaz shall not be established for one reason. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Unbelief. The kind of unbelief that would be the undoing of King Ahaz would not simply be his present failure to believe the prophet Isaiah. It was his failure to believe the word of God that was already there. His failure to believe that when God promised to David that his throne would be in perpetual existence, that he didn't believe it. How could it be fulfilled if these overwhelming armies are about us? No one, nothing, turns God from his purpose. God is an absolute sovereign. He doeth according to his will. And the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? As was declared by Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, when he was brought low. Nothing changes God's purpose. As a matter of fact, so certain is the purpose of God in prophetic scripture, wondrously, that God oft times gives his prophets to write things as if they were already done, even if it was hundreds and hundreds of years later when they would be fulfilled. In the 46th chapter of this prophecy of Isaiah, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. It is God who will bring to pass what he promised to David and to the house of David. And all of the powers that could be amassed in heaven, earth, could not stop his purpose. 
the house of David must continue until he comes who consummates David's royal line. He who fulfills and brings to confirmation, yea, as Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God. The thing is as good as already done when God before declares it shall be done. Oh, that wondrous passage we love to quote in Isaiah 9. Unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. But to our passage again when Isaiah has the mouthpiece of Jehovah God tells Ahaz that he needn't fear Ahaz must have looked at him incredulously in disbelief don't fear powerful armies are surrounding Jerusalem don't fear everything appears we're going to be destroyed be quiet he must have given him some kind of indication of his unbelief you see all that he was given was the word of God from the prophet Isaiah that's it that's all he was given nothing outward nothing appeared that it could possibly be fulfilled Yet God said it through the prophet Isaiah. And God promised it long before. Through David. You see, God says he doesn't need to fear. He can be quiet. But his eyes... And the circumstances and the imminent threat of destruction told him just the opposite. Don't we fight with things like that sometimes? When we may enjoy and have the promise of God, but we lend ourselves too much to the difficult things that are happening about us, and that takes our attention. We're not free from such temptation. But faith comes one way. By hearing. And by the word of God. Knowing the tendency of King Ahaz to believe what he saw. Rather than what he heard. God tells him to ask a sign. Any sign. For the confirmation of his faith. Can you imagine? Jehovah tells him, ask for a sign, anything you want. Ask for the stars to dance, if you like. Look in heaven. Ask something to take place. Joshua did. And the earth stood still for nearly a whole day. 
ask something that will take place in the earth, in the seas. Ahaz, with a pretentious humility, refuses. Can you imagine? Whereupon the indignant prophet tells him that since he will not obey God's command to ask for a sign, the Lord is still going to give him one. Not only is the Lord going to give him one, he is going to give him the sign. Involving the deepest and highest mystery of God's wondrous purpose. Verses 13 and 14. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, who is this promised Emmanuel? You know, we're quite blessed to live this side of the fulfillment of God's prophetic promise. And soon, like the shepherds on the hillside of Judea, let us now go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. We have the sign. The sign that not only shall the house of David be preserved against all the enemies that shall come against it. We have the sign of signs. We have the sign that all God's promises shall be fulfilled. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You can search the history of the world. You can look in all generations, if you please. Past, present, even try to peer into the future, if you like. This sign is completely unique. Never before done. Never to be repeated. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There's no other woman on the face of the earth ever from Eve on. No other woman of whom it could be said, quote, before they, her and her betrothed husband, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. No other man who ever lived on the face of the earth from Adam to the end of time could say that his mother was a virgin. He was indeed before prophesied. Even in the first prophecy that God would ever give, the prophecy in the garden after the fall of man into sin, the prophecy God would speak to the serpent that 
the one who would gain the greatest of all victories and defeat that serpent, who would crush his power and dominion, the, the one who would deliver would not be the seed of man, but the seed of a woman. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The woman, first in the transgression, the woman who, though first in the transgression, God gives the highest honor. She shall be the channel, God's chosen instrument, to bear the God-man into the world. And as was infallibly purposed, so it came to pass. As Paul the Apostle writes in Galatians 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adop adoption of sons. Ahaz, ask any sign. In his false humility, he refuses Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But this mysterious sign of signs that God would give had its origin in the heaven of heavens. From the highest height, the Son of God would come to the lower part of the earth and a new creation would be the result. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. 1 Corinthians 14, or 15, verse 47. Every other child in this world was born with a sin nature. I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Every other child ever born into this world was born a sinner. A nature coming through the man, Adam. For the sin is imputed to, through him to the whole human race. And be traced all the way back to this first man. And all who are born of the flesh are born of Adam. But this child of Mary, though he would derive from her all the properties of human nature, every property we have of human nature excepting sin, as none other was formed in her womb by the Holy Spirit, as the angel declared to her in Luke 135. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Is there proof? <laughs> yes. 
There is demonstrative proof that this child of Mary's, Jesus, the Son of God, had a unique birth. Being the seed of the woman and not the seed of the man. And thus did not inherit a sin nature. He was born sinless. The greatest of the saints had their falls, didn't they? We look in scripture, we marvel at God's work, we marvel at the faith of the saints of old. We see Abraham, we see his faith faltering as he takes his wife into Egypt. We see a David. Not only did he sin a great sin, he failed to unbelief at times. Nothing better for me than to go into the land of the Philistines, he would say. Saul's going to kill me. Even he. Peter. Lord, I'll go with you both to prison and to death. How long before I swear I don't know him? The greatest of the saints have their flaws, their faults. And I'm glad about that in a way, aren't you? Because I got mine too. I've had to struggle with my own. There was only one, perfectly, without blemish and without spot. Only one. There are two men in the world without sin. Two men. The first was Adam, before his fall. But only the last Adam held his perfect integrity from the moment of conception to the final, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He was tempted in stronger ways than we are. And his baptism declared the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Gospels tell us immediately he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the adversary personally. Personally tempted by the devil. Only the devil to find that he was defeated over and over and over again. Only this last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, held his perfect integrity from the moment he was conceived until the final, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Only one child ever born consistently without break, without a thought, word, or deed of sin would refuse the evil and choose the good. Every other child chooses the evil. And all of the scrutiny of men all the searching to find some taint of sin in the Son of Mary, who is the Son of God, 
has never nor shall ever meet the challenge the Lord Jesus set forth. Which of you convinceth me of sin? He alone overcame every temptation that could be thrown against him. And he was tempted in everything like as we are. Everything. And even in stronger temptation as we learn immediately after his baptism. But when he comes down to time to pay the price, to offer himself as the sacrifice for sin, to bear all the punishment that belongs to those given to him by the Father. He says to his disciples, Hereafter I won't talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, that's the adversary, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and it was perfect love. Arise, let us go hence to the cross. Oh, the mystery of mysteries. God was manifest in the flesh. He who inhabits eternity. He whom the heaven of heavens cannot contain who created worlds so huge that this little planet called Earth is but a speck in this universe. He came to us. He took our nature as his own. He became dependent upon his mother's breast for nourishment and growth. But his name is his eternal nature, Emmanuel, as is interpreted to Joseph in Matthew 1, meaning God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. This one who came through the womb of a virgin is the one Micah declares, and Micah was contemporary with Isaiah, by the way, the one Micah declares in Micah 5.2 is from everlasting. John declares he is that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He is God. Everything was created by him. He is the owner of heaven and earth. Then should we not marvel at the lowly condition of his birth? The family into whose care he was committed was not a rich family. They didn't wear the purple of royalty. They didn't live in a palace. They were poor. His mother, though indeed of royal blood, 
was but a poor woman betrothed to a laboring man, a carpenter. When the Lord Jesus would be manifest in the flesh, the house of David would be at its lowest point. Not its highest. Judea, Galilee, Samaria, all would be under Roman rule. It was a time when the tree of David's royal house had fallen. But the roots remained. And at such a time, it was prophesied by Isaiah that the branch of David, the Messiah, would come forth at such a low period of time. A couple chapters over in chapter 11 of Isaiah, and in verses 1 and 2, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Messiah in the Old Testament is called the branch of Jehovah, and he is called the branch of David. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. He didn't come forth stately. Isaiah says in the 53rd chapter he comes out of a dry ground. It was a dry ground in Israel. It was a low period for them. Mary was not to be honored by the world as a princess arrayed in royal clothing and living in a palace. It doesn't say a princess shall conceive and bear a son. It says a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A virtuous woman. <laughs> In Solomon's day, that was rare. A virtuous woman. Who can find? A virtuous woman. A woman of godly character. And her character shines forth more than all the gold, the silver, the riches of the world's royalty. And the honor belonging to her who could say, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. It outshines all the pomp and ceremony of the world's greatest dignitaries. And though among the poor of this world. Yet she was not a woman of inferior intelligence, obviously of great intelligence. When the shepherds would come after hearing the angelic message and tell the wondrous reason they came to the manger, the stable, we learn, quote, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart a woman of great thought great intelligence 
read her composition of what has been called the Virgin's Song that begins, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Then I want you to consider the humble conditions of the Lord's birth. The Lord of glory, whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I remember in studying this passage. O oh Lord Jesus, why wast thou not born in a palace, laid in a golden crib, wrapped in royal purple? Why to a poor family in a poor despised village called Nazareth? Why laid in a manger where animals feed and who most likely came to eat from the place where the holy head lay? If animals were his companions in birth, and poor, despised shepherds were his first visitors? Shall he not receive the poorest and least esteemed who believe in him? And shall he not make their hearts his royal dwelling place? Let my heart be thy throne. Yet for all this, no one ever had such a glorious birth as he had. You see, his coming was the subject of prophets. The before announced purpose of God to send his son, his anointed, the redeemer, the king of heaven. And he caused prophets and angels to marvel. You remember the time when the Lord Jesus would tell his disciples, prophets and men of old, they longed to see the things you see. They didn't see them. They wanted to see them. He came in the form of a servant in our humanity. There was nothing to mark him out. He didn't have a halo. He had nothing to mark him out as the God-man Physically, he came in all points like as we are, though God incarnate. But to the angelic host, they worshipped him. They knew his deity. They worshipped him. Can you imagine? Peter tells us the angels desired to look into these things. They marveled at this. The God who brought all things into existence. Born in such a lowly way, becoming a man. When did God ever create a special star to announce the birth of a king or to lead them? They weren't at the manger. That's religious. 
They went to a house where the Lord Jesus was. Where the babe lay in his mother's arms. And do you not hear the voice of the heavenly chorus? Never before. Not even at the creation of the world. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And there, first in the manger, then led to the house where the Lord Jesus lay, the poor and the rich, Jew and Gentile, worship the one who shall save a vast multitude out of every nation and kindred and tongue and people on the face of the earth and bring them to live forever with him from where he came. Why? His name was to be called Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, as you know, or you should know, if you don't know, I'm going <laughs> to feel like shaking you because you've been taught over and over again. <laughs> Names in Scripture have great meaning. Those in Scripture didn't take a, a book when a baby was born and say, well, I like this name or that name or the other name from this book. There's always a characteristic in one, something that identified them in a particular way for which they were named. Moses means drawn out. Why do you suppose? Because, of course, he was drawn out of the water. Abram became Abraham. Why? The father of many nations. Because God, through his seed, Christ, would save from every kindred, tribe, tongue on the face of the earth. Jacob means supplanter. Because through his craftiness, he would supplant his brother. And so on. So name in scripture is very important. It signifies the revelation oftentimes of character. When dealing with God, it is the revelation of his nature and character. Just as in Isaiah 9, 6, closer to our passage, there's the five-fold description of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's called his Name. His name, not names, shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God is one in three persons. When one confesses faith in Christ and they desire to follow him in believer's baptism and be set apart to him for the rest of their life, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Joseph was instructed to call the Lord's name Jesus. 
which means the Savior or Jehovah Savior or Jehovah Salvation. Because he would save his people from their sins. To know him and trust him as the divine, unique Son of God is to believe on his name. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John's gospel, the whole purpose, many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing, you might have life through his name. He is the eternal Son come into this world taking our humanity into union with his eternal deity in order to redeem us to God by his own blood. In the full glory of the Lord's person involving infinite and eternal glories beyond our capacity to fully know. We're told in Revelation 19, he hath the name written that no man knoweth but he himself. We can never fully comprehend the glorious depths of his person. But the more we know, the more beautiful he becomes to our sight, spiritually. The name Emmanuel, as belonging to the babe born to Mary, giving the meaning of Isaiah 7.14, was declared by the angelic messenger. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. What greater blessedness could we have? What more could we ask? What worldly joy could ever top the knowledge in the heart of the believer than to know that God is with us, the living God, the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, the one who put us here. He who created a billion worlds and more. Who causes the stars, if you please, to dance in the heavens. Who set a compass upon the deep. Who declares to it, thus far shalt thou come, and no further to its proud waves. Who gives to the beast his food. Who gives the birds their song. who causes the rain to fall upon the earth, who put breath in our bodies. He is with us. And that he is with us, who came into this tiny world and took our nature into union with his eternal deity, to die in our place for our sins, 
to redeem us for himself is a wonder for which we shall never cease praising him. You don't have to take great massive trips in this world to find our delights in the things of it. We who are in Christ are going to take a trip into the glories of heaven to be with our Lord forever, to worship him. How could you be redeemed and it be not that which engulfs your heart and thought and mind and prayers and worship and praise? Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation to think that he who was perfectly sinless took your sins unto himself paid the full price to the justice of God to redeem you make you his own to give you his Holy Spirit to guide you into holy ways of living different than before if that be true what is greater the incarnate God is with us he's with us to lead us when darkness seems to encroach when dangers seem to be all about us, nearer when trouble is nearest to us, his everlasting arms under us when all strength seems to fail. For never shall his promise fail. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What greater comfort could be given when sadness comes? When sudden trials come that defy all peace? When sickness robs of strength? When pains are so strong? When fear fights against hope? What greater promise could be given to the saint? at the end of his course or her course in this world what could be found more comforting and blessed when loved ones depart to be with Christ than to know that he whose name is God with us is forever with us and with them What a passage. What a Savior. What a salvation. May God be glorified in the ministry of his holy word.